Welcome to the Crack the MBA show. My name is Nupur Gupta and I'm your host. Our guest today is Ishani Mukherjee, who is part of the full-time MBA class at Tak School of Business. Ishani completed her BA in economics from Delhi University, after which she worked in e-commerce, retail and consulting at firms like PwC and Etsy in India and Thailand. Hi Ishani, welcome and thank you so much for joining us on the show. Hi Nupur, it's completely my pleasure to be here. Wonderful. Ishani, my introduction was so brief. If you could tell our audience a little bit about you, including something which may be lesser known. Yeah, for sure. I'm basically born and brought up in Delhi. And I went to Delhi University for my undergrad in economics. And currently, I'm an MBA student at the Tuck School of Business. Prior to going to Tuck, I was working at Etsy, Etsy's India operations for about two years. And over there, I was involved in program management roles, strategy and operations, basically building out the business in India. And it was one of my favorite jobs. Prior to that, I spent three years in management consulting at PwC. And even before that, I was involved in a few jobs where I was trying to figure out what I really like. So I experimented with a few months at an e-commerce startup. I also worked in Thailand at a grocery conglomerate. And I think all of that really helped me, I think, over those, those six years of my work experience, I think I got a really good understanding of what I like, but also what I didn't like. And I think that was something that was really important for me going into my MBA, where you're exposed to so many options. And it helped me, you know, kind of chart out my career path, at least through my first year during my MBA at Tuck. Ishani, can you talk to us a little bit about why you decided to pursue an MBA in the first place? So for me, my MBA was kind of a mix of a personal and a professional dream. From the time that I was in my undergrad at Delhi University, I knew that I wanted to study in a multicultural environment, you know, for my further studies, something that I missed at Delhi University a little bit. And I saw my friends elsewhere enjoying. So that was always a personal dream for maybe like 10 years in the making. On the professional side, again, I think once I did my undergrad in economics, which was very academically heavy, I only worked in business. It was not fully connected to what I had studied. And while I learned everything on the job, there were definitely gaps in my knowledge and things that I was just building reactively through working and like gaining some experience on the side through either Coursera, edX or something like that. But I really wanted to go back to school to more intentionally fill those gaps as well as focus on things like leadership development, soft skill training, because I always want to work in roles that are involving people and processes. So I think those were a few areas that I was looking to develop as I head into my MBA. Very helpful. Can you speak to us about how you went about figuring out your post-MBA goals and also if you have any advice for applicants who are trying to figure out their true north. I think there are two ways to go about it, like figuring out your goals. One is actually like the goals for your essay. One is your real goals. And I do think that they need to be the same, but I think the articulation of them might be a little different. So keeping the essay question aside, I think the way that I figured out my goals is probably not something that I was thinking about just for the purpose of my MBA, but something that I had been thinking about throughout my career journey. And it was a combination of what am I good at and what do I love? Through every job change, I would try to get closer to that answer. 
and that's why i think i went through so many jobs but finally when i was working at etsy where i had worked in smaller organizations previously large organizations consulting and now back in industry i think i really knew like across that spectrum of professional services versus working in house where i really fit in and then when i think about from a functional perspective like marketing operations finance i knew what my space was and for me it was something which was a combination which i identified as strategy and operation so i think identifying the industry and identifying that function was really important for me and then i thought about you know i was of course looking at us as the location and i started thinking about dream companies that i would want to work at which was fitting the industry preference and the functional preference and i think that helped me at least define few domains of my goals of what i would be working towards okay that's helpful and shani do you also recommend that candidates hold conversations with people who are working in the future industries of their choice i think that's the best way that you can figure out whether it is a fit for you or not i think you can always read about industries and roles and i think i do recommend that as well one thing that i highly recommend is reading job descriptions of jobs that you think you might be interested in like simply on linkedin but then while you're actually connecting with people to understand schools a little bit better i think also talking to people who are working in an industry that you want to work in combined with the school that you're applying to is the perfect mix so for example if you're interested in technology and you're interested at tuck i would say reach out to someone who's working at like a tuck alum working at google or a tuck alum working in uber so that you can both understand how tuck fit into their goals as well as what a day to day you know day in their life looks like at that job so that you can figure out whether the school really helped them reach their goals and how does that contribute to you know how how they're enjoying their work apart from linkedin looking at those job descriptions are there any other resources that you would recommend that candidates can consider to help identify and define their goals i think another side of it is introspection as well i think on your experience as well the thing that i spoke about previously is more forward looking even introspection on the work that you have done and what is actually going to be achievable is i think a really important grounding so i think that's the bottom up approach that is also really important because when you're in your mba and you are trying to either make a career shift or you are trying to you know continue in the field that you're working in and trying to get to a different level through the mba network i think it's important to understand how do you pitch your story really so that will be really different if you are for example for me i worked in tech and i was mostly recruiting in tech it was a really seamless journey to explain to recruiters to explain to people i was networking with so that made a lot of sense for me however i was also alternatively looking at another career path which was i had worked in tech but i was looking at innovation consulting so trying to figure out what is it in my past experience that maps to that field and what are the areas that are growth areas for me but i plan to take the internship experience to fill those gaps and then continue on that path so i think that bottom up approach is also really important to figure out whether your goals will be achievable that's really helpful and just to help candidates even more right what skills related to innovation consulting were you able to identify in your profile i think innovation consulting is 
all about having a user-centric lens on a growth problem for either a nascent startup or it could be like a Fortune 500 company, but that user-centric lens is something that's really important. And they have certain methodologies and tools for that, which is things that were completely new to me. However, what mapped well to my experience is that at Etsy, we were trying to develop the minimum viable product that served consumers in India best because we were thinking of the growth strategy in India. So we were always rooted in, in consumer research, figuring out what do consumers want, what is already out there, what is not meeting their needs and where is that white space. So that user lens was already there in my toolkit. However, the way that I approached user research might be a little different and might not have been as informed by best practices in the industry. So I related that to how I understood the space that they work in, how I've done that. But it was also important for me to express that I actually want to get to understand what are the best practices in you know, developing a user-centric innovation strategy. And that's why I want to work in this field. So I think the need for why you want to enter an industry becomes really clear when actually you have a gap in your experience. So if you look at the gap in your experience as a way to grow and position that as something to a recruiter, it actually makes the why you want to work in the company really clear and really authentic. Okay, that's really helpful. One follow-up question on that. Could it also raise a red flag around your ability to contribute if you highlight the gap? I think it could be a red flag based on the extent of gap, but also in the way that you communicate it. So I think definitely is on a case-by-case basis. In my case, it definitely was not a red flag because I was able to work in in that industry. I did spend my summer in innovation consulting. All MBA applicants in the US, MBA students have on an average of four years of experience. Be confident about what you have learned and what you have contributed. And the reason that, you know, someone's interviewing you is because they see, they appreciate your experience and they think that you could add value to the organization. Definitely don't discount that. So I think in that way, personal brand building is really, really important. That's one thing that I have heard from a lot of people that Indians usually are looking for way better ways to network and they might not always be comfortable in talking about their strengths because they might want to be more humble. But I think personal brand building is really, really important and a strong suit to develop as you go through your MBA experience and as you get to know how to network with people and learn from your peers. So I think in that way, there is always something that you can contribute to the company. It's just about how you communicate it during your interview. All right. Very helpful. What would be your, say, two or three tips related to networking for applicants who are applying to MBA programs? Okay, while applying to MBA programs, I think one is try to reach out to people that you might have something in common with in terms of your experience. And the reason I say that is because when you drop that, you know, one or two liner on LinkedIn, or whether you get their email address from the school's website and drop them an email, if you are upfront able to tell them why you're reaching out to them and not to anyone else so that your email or message stands out as a non-templatized message, I think that's something really important. Whether they went to the same school, whether you worked in the same industry, I can tell you from my experience Whenever people reach out to me, for example, they've worked in one of the big fours. I worked at PwC. 
and they want to figure out how did I differentiate my experience when I applied for my MBA. Or if someone wants to work in the field that I did my internship in. These are people who, if they reach out to me with this message, I will definitely, definitely make time for them. If the MBA student thinks that they can really help you out because you've already highlighted the commonality in your experience, I think they would take the extra effort to make that time for you. So that's one thing. The second thing is definitely, I, I would say instead of reaching out on LinkedIn, some people are active on LinkedIn, some people are not. You can definitely reach out to people on the official email address if you look out for the admissions ambassadors from the website. Students actually have no say in your admission outcome. It is a black box admissions and I totally understand that and I think I was confused. And I didn't know whether speaking to more students matters, but truly, truly, it's the quality of the conversations that matter. To have those conversations after you've done your due research makes all the difference so that you can go into those conversations and actually verify information more than ask basic questions is, I think, the thing that's really important. I recently had a conversation with a prospective who had done all of their research. They had all of the names down. I think what they were trying to talk to me about was to understand what they were going to write in their essay was something that Tuck was known for. You know, the website will pitch all of the information to you, but to really figure out what is the school known for, those are things that students can really help you out with and they can help you steer away from things that are maybe general promotion material versus things that the school is truly famous for. And when you mention that in your essay, the school can identify that you know the school really well because you took the time to research it. Oh, wow. That's a really great way to look at it. Thanks for sharing that, Ishani. So moving a little bit more in depth into admissions, right? Can you tell us about your admissions journey? I think the admissions journey had three parts. The first one is the GMAT, which should be what starts the earliest. The second one is school research, like school selection and school research. And the third one is introspection and essay writing. For me, in terms of weakness, I think professionally, one thing that I identified that could be a perceived weakness, which I wanted to make sure that I position it as my strength is the number of jobs that I had been in. I had been in four jobs in a period of six years. And while if someone looked at it at a surface level, it might look like I was confused. I didn't know what I was doing. I couldn't stick to a job. What it meant was that I had very intentionally moved from job to job, enhancing my experience as well as my self-awareness and gaining clarity and skills, which were incremental. So I think that was really important to bring out in my, you know, about me or my goals essay and things like that. So that was one thing that could be a perceived weakness, which I wanted to convert into a strength. Another weakness for me definitely was the GMAT. My GMAT score was 720, which is for Indian applicants can be below the average. You will hear different things from different people. Some people will say don't apply below a certain score. Some people will say don't apply to M7 below a certain score. That was something, of course, I did make continuous effort to try to increase my score to something that would make it a non-issue. However, I think 720 did stick as something that, you know, added a lot of uncertainty for me. So I had to work on all the other areas to try to 
bolster my application so that as much as possible, my GMAT becomes a non-issue. The GMAT should be high enough that it's a tick in the box. I think for me, it was something that was a weakness. So it could not be a tick in the box. So I had to work harder on other areas of my application. For somebody who's grappling with the exact same issue, right? The GMAT's not a tick in the box. How can they showcase their strengths and how can they still manage to get a successful outcome like you did? So I think there are a few things that you can do. I would start with the recommendation. And I think recommendations is, you know, qualitative way to talk about your experiences, your strengths, your achievements in a way that the applicant really can't. So I think working with your recommenders to make sure that they are aiding what you are talking about in your essay. So talking about those points that you hope that they can elaborate on. Talking about, you know, for example, if your quantitative score in your GMAT is lower, then find examples in your experience that demonstrated quantitative ability and analytical ability and making sure that your recommenders are able to over-index on that if possible. If that was something that they can speak to, that can, I think, go a long way. Another thing is in your resume as well, making sure that analytical examples and achievements in your work shine. So for example, for me, I had worked in consulting. I had worked on things like you know developing investment proposals for a massive you know expansion project so i made sure that i was articulating the number impact of the work that i was doing the analytical aspect of the projects that i was involved in so those are those are few things i think very specifically to say like counter a lower quant score and i think examples in your essay i think of course in your essay you're always trying to show the best self but just keeping in mind what could be a perceived weakness based on your score and then working on your essay and molding it in such a way as well. I think there are some schools that ask about examples in analytical ability. So making sure that you're really tackling those questions much more thoughtfully. Okay, that's really helpful. Thanks, Ishani. So you were just talking about essays, right? So how did you approach your essays? What was your essay writing process? Do you have any advice for candidates? Yeah, so I think there are two types of essays there will almost always be an essay about yourself and your goals. And then there will be an essay about why MBA and why a particular school. And I think those are two areas that, you know, candidate can start working on, even if you don't have essay questions in front of you. Although I definitely recommend working on essay drafts for the school's question, but Say you're going through your brainstorming process. I think these are the two topics to brainstorm over. So in the first one, which is about yourself and your goals, there's almost like a convergence and divergence process. So I think the divergence process is just laying out all of your anecdotes that you think might be formative to your career decisions, career changes, or anything that is of significance in your professional journey or personal journey. So I think One is kind of creating that long list. I think that's where I would start for things like, you know, the about you and your goals, short term and long term. 
and i think then tackling the question based on the prompt of the of the school is something that you have to use as the convergence process you know for a particular school for example if they have a 300 word limit which is what tux essay is about yourself i think that really gives you the mold to what are the things that you can talk about pick up the stories that really weave well into your strengths and your goals and you highlight those in your essays and your about yourself in the about the school essay why you want to pursue your mba and why a particular school that's specifically an area that i definitely have a lot of thoughts on because i've learned a lot about it even through my mba experience and i think the why mba and why a particular school are actually two quite different things and i think when you talk about why a particular school it's important to aid the points that you mentioned in your why mba so for example if you said something like i want to have a better grasp over financial concepts or i want to develop leadership skills you know you will definitely weave that into your why talk but it's really important to mention resources at tuck that tuck is known for and that's something that i've learned over time i'll give you an example every school nowadays is positioned for everyone because they have they are casting a wide net so there is no school that will say that we are a marketing school or we are a finance school and that's truly the case there is i think whatever your path is you can chart your path in a particular school schools have ample amount of support but when you're talking about a particular school i think it's important to mention the things that the school is really really known for and that they think that they can deliver best on so when someone is coming to if they're applying to tuck i would tell them if you have a consulting goal tuck is a really really strong consulting school you can talk about these three resources at tuck which contribute to your consulting goal however if you want to talk about innovation which is something that i was working on it's not like tuck is well known for innovation they will definitely have resources but if you mention that i don't think it will demonstrate the best knowledge of the school because it's something that tuck is working on developing as they go to resource but they're not there yet so i think when you research why a particular school it's important to match that with what are the strengths of the school so that the school understands that this person has done their research and they're coming to the school for the right reasons you were talking specifically about the tuck essays right ishani so you know do you have any advice for the other essays as well you know talking about who you are as a person as well as there's an anecdotal essay on a time when you were encouraging yeah so i think in who you are as a person i think tuck has four admission criteria which are listed on their uh, you know on the blog you can demonstrate a fit with those criteria through multiple ways which are not necessarily in the essay for example something like smart and accomplished which are two of the criteria actually your recommendation and your cv or your resume contribute more to that when you come to the who you are i think it's important to understand which of the criteria might have been not elaborated on enough through the rest of your material and picking up that strand and coming up with i would recommend a maximum of 2 to 3 anecdotes to demonstrate certain criteria that you're going to talk about because it's just a 300 word essay it's not supposed to be a laundry list but it's actually supposed to give a peek into the person that you are in a little bit of detail and in 300 words 
I think it's very difficult to do justice to more than two or three anecdotes. For my essay, I think I only talked about two anecdotes, like two paragraphs, two anecdotes that went into enough detail so that there's some color around what I'm saying I'm known for. And I think the last essay, the one which is the anecdote of when you did something which is empathetic or encouraging, however, while it was not convenient for you, is a really interesting essay. I think that essay reveals so much about Tuck to me and I truly think it shows Tuck's fabric in a way that once you get admitted you realize is so applicable because I think in your Tuck experience you will definitely have anecdotes of when you've done these things when it's not convenient. So I think it's a really telling essay and I would not miss out on the nuance of something which is encouraging or empathetic when it's not convenient. I think I've heard of a lot of people who talk about something which is, you know, shows that they are really empathetic, but it doesn't really highlight what was the personal trade-off that they had during that particular event. So I think it's important to articulate that and not shy away from talking about how something might have been inconvenient for you, either professionally or personally, and was definitely something that you were grappling with. And it's something where you can show your vulnerability, you can show your emotions in that essay. And it's, something that hopefully Candice will not shy away from. Yeah, I think that's one which sometimes people struggle with, specifically as the part which talks about when it's not convenient. And they really, really, really have to dig deep at times. Shani, can you talk a little bit about the interview? How can applicants excel in the talk interview? What traits would they get evaluated on? I think in the talk interview, it's a really, really friendly interview process. That's one thing I would say. I experienced that and I think it has commonly been experienced across candidates that I've spoken to and my friends now at Tuck. I think few things that are really important to focus on when you're going through your Tuck interview is passion for the school, for sure. I believe it's the smallest class size in the top 20 MBAs and people are definitely filtering for a cultural fit during the interview. I'm speaking about this from personal experience. There are many ways you can show cultural fit, but I think one way is would you fit into the location and the setting of Hanover and Dartmouth? It is probably the only school that I've heard of in the top 20 MBAs which does not have Uber available in the city. So there are, that's just one example of how that town is really, really unique. So understanding what some people might perceive as the limitations of the town or could be inconveniences, understanding what it means for you and talking about why you want to go to Tuck, not despite the location, but because of the location is I think something that's really important because I, I can imagine certain people not wanting to do their MBA in a place that's as remote. However, if that's something that affects your decision and if it comes out in the interview, I think it'll, it's definitely something the interviewer will pick up on. When someone's thinking about Tuck, they think about that. To me, it's one of the biggest strengths of the Tuck MBA experience, but it's really important to think about whether you would fit into that location. And once you figure out that fit, being able to communicate that is really important in the interview. The other thing is you cannot be invisible at talk. Everyone has high amount of visibility to 
of the students to the administration to the professors which means that you need to be ready to contribute to the community it's very difficult to lay low in the top community so active participation is something that is really important to the top student community so i think that would be something that would be important to demonstrate your willingness to get involved in student life student activities is something that would be important to demonstrate in the interview process and i think the last thing is mapping out your career goals to the resources at tuck tuck has very specific resources for certain industry and functional preferences and being able to map them out whether they are in the experiential resources whether they are in the six centers across tuck whether it is a particular career club whether it is a particular course tuck is very very intentional about mapping all of these resources back to a career goal so being able to have a cross section of these you know not just academic resources but a cross section of academic and experiential resources mapping back to your career goals would be important and would you know show that you understand what tuck has to offer so my next question is what for you is the unique identity of tuck's mba program and you know you talked about the location the class size so how is that for you a virtue and something that makes the program so enjoyable on the social aspect i think the way that it shows up is it is an immersive experience you know everyone will say that when they talk about the talk experience but the reason for that is that no one is from hanover right no one has actually lived in hanover maybe one i think i've heard of one student because uh, you know they are the daughter of a professor that they actually lived in hanover before but majority everyone has moved to hanover for talk which means that everyone has left their comfort zone which is an equalizer and a bonding experience and i highlight that as a really important thing especially for international students you can imagine when an international student goes to a city campus you know where a lot of their classmates have already lived in the city or already have a lot of peers in the city an international student might be new to the city there is a little bit of a difference in the experience that they might have however in a school like tuck and other you know rural campuses everyone has moved to that place just for the tuck experience which means that 100% of the people are 100% committed to the tuck experience and there is no other distraction which makes for a really really rich and fulfilling experience for all students the other thing is that the small class size i think is a huge asset in every way possible whether it is for leadership opportunities you know there are more number of positions and posts and there are fewer people competing for it so everyone can get a chance to have a leadership position in a smaller or a big way and i think it's a huge opportunity for people who might be a little scared of doing something new you can actually do something really new and you don't have to be afraid of failure because there is just so much opportunity to go around for the few number of students that are there in the school the other thing is from a career perspective you have so much support from the administration the career services team the faculty i think tuck has the you know best ratio in terms of administration to student as well as faculty to student that no matter what your career goals are and possibly how unconventional they are or conventional they are if you need additional support you will get it immediately and you will get an abundance of it so much so that you might not know what to do with it i can speak from personal experience i did somewhat of unconventional recruiting i did tech but i also did retail you know we don't have a specific track for retail or we don't have a retail club and i did innovation 
fashion consulting. So one, I was doing three industries which had little overlap, but also I was, you know, recruiting in companies where few internationals had previously maybe recruited in and I couldn't find a lot of internationals who had similar experiences. But I was always able to find a person, whether it was in the alum or whether it was a career service member who could find me the resources and give me the practice that I needed in what could seemingly be like a new space to explore. So I think those are ways that both the location and the class size and, you know, the ratio with faculty and administration is really, really amazing at all. Shani, can you speak about the major events or experiences that students look forward to participating in at TAC? Yeah, for sure. So I think on the social side, I would say the biggest event at Tuck is the Tuck Winter Carnival. It is something which is a cross-school event that we have at the end of February, just towards the end of the ski season, where previously in, in 2021, we or 2022 now, 1,000 attendees were there. We were doing the Talk Winter Carnival after a three-year gap because of COVID. And it is one of the greatest like cross-school collaboration for a social event that I have known of. It takes place on the ski slopes. It is, I think, a two-day event which has you know, morning activities related to skiing, races, and like a lot of social programming. And then towards night, there are like theme parties. The event actually took place on a ski mountain. And previously, it's taken place on the runway of the small airport that we have in Lebanon, New Hampshire. So it's a really unique event that Tuck is really, really proud to host. You know, there is a leadership committee for it, but almost all of the Tuck community gets involved in that. You will hear professors talk about it in the days leading up to the Tuck Winter Carnival about how they are also gearing up for it. So the entire community really comes together for that. Another one that I personally love because I was involved in it last year was Tuck Gives Gala. It's basically a fund where we raise funds for students who are going to be pursuing internships in the social impact space, which might not either have partial pay or might be pro bono, but to support them in pursuing internships in those spaces, we raise funds for that. And there is a auction leading up to a one-day gala where you know, the items that are auctioned out are really showing the fabric of Tuck and the love that the Hanover and Tuck community has for the students. So you will have professors hosting a 10-person pool party and a barbecue. These are traditions that have been happening for 20 years or a professor who will, you know, donate their time and like host a hike. Admissions would host a hike, you know, a three-hour hike with six students. So those are things that really bring the top community together as well as support students to pursue their passions. And it's something that the top community really loves to get together for. Very cool. Okay, and moving to academics, Ishani, who are the star professors and what are the must-do courses at top? Oh. There are so many <laughs> that come to mind, but I think top of mind, you know, a few courses that I'm really looking forward to in the coming term. There is a course called Ecosystem Strategy by Professor Rod Adner, which students really love. And I'm looking forward to that. I haven't taken that yet. I also loved our core, our strategy core, actually, which is taught by two professors, Professor Gavetti and Professor Ramon, you know, they have their own approach to frameworks that they've developed for strategy. So we don't actually use any public readings for that, but it's actually 
course material that has been developed by the professors and drawing upon case studies that they revise every year. That's like a core course that really stands out to me. Another course that I love is Digital Change Strategy. It's by Professor Alva Taylor. He's kind of leading all courses in digital change and innovation and design thinking. So the digital change strategy course is all about how legacy industries are impacted by change in technology and digitization and how they respond to it. And we do really interesting courses, like cases to you know understand that and apply that to our work. Okay, very cool. Can you speak a little bit about the housing situation at Dark. I'm guessing everyone stays on campus. If you could just speak a little bit about that. In the first year, students who come without partners, they have the option for signing up for on-campus housing, which is basically in three dorms, which are basically our school campus. So our dorms are on the first floor to like the fourth floor and in the ground floor and underground of that is basically where the classes take place. So it's truly residential. And these are like one bedroom dorms with ensuite bathrooms. And it makes for a really, really amazing living community where probably for the first and last time you will be living around 150 of your peers and you see them as soon as you wake up and you'll see them the time that you head to bed that's in the first year it is open for people who want to live on a single occupancy basis another housing option is called Sechum, which is like a gated community for people who are coming in with their partners and their kids and their dogs also a very self-contained community where everyone's living close to each other so those are kind of the two big pockets of living in the first year in the second year you know, people who live in Sachem, they of course continue to live in those housing, but students who would be living in the dorms do have to move out and make space for the incoming first years. In the second year, there is a lot of tuck houses, both in Hanover, New Hampshire, as well as Norwich, Vermont. And these are houses that are passed down from, you know, different tuck classes. And they have names which are continued as tradition. And there are cases where you actually have to pitch to the occupants of the tuck house with a presentation of why you deserve to live in that house and if you're able to entertain them well enough then they will name you the next occupant so there are all kinds of traditions in the way that tuck houses are passed down from year to year it's a really vibrant community wherever you live whether it's in the dorms whether it's off campus whether it's in Sachem. Ishani can you talk a little bit about what student life is like you know how do students engage outside the classroom? We live in the middle of the woods. So a lot of our activities are around the setting that Hanover is in. So based on the season that differs. So like in the summer, you know, place that students love to get together is the river. So the campus is right next to the Connecticut River. So there is a lot of paddle boarding, there is canoeing, kayaking just you know going into the river for swimming in fall which is the most beautiful time at Tuck there is a lot of leaf peeping so there is hikes that people go on to see the best colors of the upper valley there is apple picking and you know all of these kind of activities which dominate the fall weather in the winter it is fully consumed by skiing Tuck has a huge interest for skiing very often people would plan their classes around the ski season I have not skied so I would not be the best person to speak about that but I might be one of maybe 20 people on campus who have not skied so 
if any was interested in skiing i'm pretty sure they would anyway be frequenting killington and that's basically the backyard of tuck so these are few of the outdoor activities that dominate our life but otherwise the tuck social calendar is something that our social chairs of the student government plan and it is something that has maximum attendance so the way that our social chairs plan our social calendar is that there are very few conflicting events which means that on any day it gives an opportunity for the entire talk community to get together at the calendarized event which people will know about for weeks in advance and almost everything on the calendar is sort of a tradition there might be new events year on year but most of these events are events that you've heard about you know alums talk about for the last 15 20 years so it's amazing to keep some of those traditions alive whether they are social activities whether they are things around career academics but there's a lot of tradition around the can activities you talk in calendar about one or two examples of what those events look like so we can picture it better yeah you know one of the social events is called the luau which is the first almost first social event that happens on the calendar when both the first and second years are on campus it is hosted in one of the tuck houses which is off campus in norwich vermont and imagine about 4 acres of wilderness and like a you know wooden cabin in the middle and you know they are hosting like a sundowner party for everyone and you're actually transported to the location and back from the location in believe it or not school buses which tuck students love to hate but that's the only mode of transport sometimes so you know that's like luau is a big tradition then something which is which was new this time was a silent disco so we have another beautiful tuck house called the skybox which is like a wooden cabin but upgraded so imagine like a lot of skylights so which is why what it gets its name for and there was a silent disco so you know like no no loud music but everyone had headsets with you know different colored lights and just you came in and enjoy that and that's a new event which the social chairs are really excited to make a tradition so that the future classes can carry that forward okay that's helpful and so are you having events like every week or you know what's the general frequency there would be an event almost every thursday friday saturday so very rarely would there be no talk wide event on every thursday friday saturday and these events will be either you know sponsored by a certain affinity club like say the wine club or the beer club or asia business club which can be around the chinese new year or it can be the south asian business club and they will be hosting diwali or it will be like one of those school wide traditions like the luau party which is just planned and hosted by the social chairs so every thursday friday saturday there would definitely be like a school wide event but through the week as well there would be like small smaller community events like small group dinners which is something that is sort of a quarterly tradition where the entire school is broken up into groups of 5 to 6 people and these are across first years and second years and there are hosts who are you know hosting dinner either in their houses or people even in the dorms can do it and they can do it in the common kitchen so every quarter there's a day allocated for that and the entire community breaks out into small groups and then they get to meet new people okay That's helpful. Thanks Nishani. What do you wish prospective students knew about that? I wish prospective students knew that there is no Uber in Hanover. How do you commute? 
almost everyone has a car in Hanover and people who don't have a car, the truck community is extremely helpful. And one of the most common messages that you'll see on our social channel is, I'm going to this grocery store and I have three empty spots in my car. Would anyone like to come? Or the other way around, someone will post that they need to go somewhere. I have never heard of someone who's asked for a ride and not gotten one. But eventually, everyone tries to get a car. We have a really interesting tradition. I won't call it a tradition, but it's like a club actually called Safe Rides. It is Tuck's answer to late night Ubers. And there is a roster of students from Wednesday to Saturday, 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. At least two of your classmates will be running an Uber service with their own personal car. And there is an app for it where people will send in their requests and then you know, the two people who are on duty will be fielding the request and will go and pick up people and drop there to their location. So there are really unique solutions, community-driven solutions to all the inconvenience that come with life in the Upper Valley. Amazing. What's been your biggest challenge at Tuck? I think transportation is a little bit of a challenge just because you know, coming from a city, I live in Delhi, where public transport is really good. I would never have to think twice about how I'm going from point A to point B. It sometimes can be a challenge in Hanover, especially if you are slightly introverted and you don't feel like you want to ask for help. I would just urge everyone to ask for help because the first time you do that and you have success with it, you will feel much more comfortable doing that. At Tuck specifically, I actually won't say that I have had any challenges from a career perspective. While I was recruiting for things where I might not have had a lot of examples, there's so much support in the community and within the administration that anything that could have been a challenge really became a moment for the community to come through. There are just minor things about life in the upper valley, which can be challenging. But other than that, I would not say much. I know some people would quote the temperature as a massive challenge. It did get to minus 28 degrees more than one day, but it's somehow beautiful. That's just my perspective. I think it might be the novelty of it, but I was seeing snow for the first time and it was absolutely stunning and I loved it. Amazing. Amazing. So, Ishani, can you tell us about your involvement in extracurricular activities? You spoke about Talk Gives already, and I believe you're co-chairing that this coming year. If you could talk about the other activities, that'd be great. Yeah, for sure. One thing that I loved in terms of my extracurricular involvement is Talk has amazing centers. They have these six centers which are related to career exploration and academic topics. They are around private equity and venture capital. There is one around entrepreneurship. There is one around digital strategy, healthcare, and one is around energy. And I think I'm forgetting the last one. These are all centers that have deep expertise in the field that they are operating in. So I was involved in the Center for Digital Strategy, which has an associate program for the first years and a fellowship program for the second year. Every center has its own programming, whether it's a fellowship or whether it is a different way to get involved, whether it is a particular class or an experiential program, which is shorter than a full year fellowship. But I was involved in the associate position for the Center for Digital Strategy. The Center for Digital Strategy pertains to all topics related to technology and digitization. And it really cuts across industries. So the associate position had about, I would 
with say 20 to 30 students there is an application process for it about seven to eight questions that you answer and you get together with your cohort of about the 20 to 30 students there is a thought starter and there is a discussion for about an hour to two hours on that topic in a very structured way so that structure might change from week to week but there would be questions like what is the future of the metaverse or there would be things like how is digitization changing legacy industries things that we cover in certain classes of ours as well we might talk about a particular industry like autonomous vehicles or the next week we might talk about health tech so it's really about technology touching different industries and we sometimes have guest speakers come in who are alums or people known to our professors for example we have the professor who is the academic chair for the center for digital strategy is professor alva taylor who has done a lot of research in the area of innovation design thinking and digitization so he will know for example the chief digital officer of mars who will come in and speak to us about how they are implementing design thinking methodology in innovation in-house it's really to expand your understanding of technology which is i think that's something that's really important because technology is no longer like just about software and it touches so many industries so i think it's a really interesting center where you can gain a broader understanding of changes in this industry so that has been one of my involvements the other one like on the social side one that i love is the small group dinners i think i spoke about the tradition a little bit which is like once a quarter the community gets divided into groups of five you get to meet people from across the batches and the effort is to get people together who might not know each other and who might not have a lot of overlap so it's something that I really enjoyed in my first year and I got to meet a lot of people outside of my closest friends and got to develop some amazing bonds and meet people from different backgrounds so that's something that I'm really excited to co-chair going into the second year very cool that's awesome Ishani other trips student trips that are also part of the TAC experience if there are any major such activities and experiential learning opportunities maybe you could touch upon that as well so we have something called the global insights expedition again something that's been halted for about two years now but it's coming back this year it primarily takes place in the final term of our second year so it's in the spring term around March we just got the programming for it the idea is that it would be about a cohort of 25 students in their second year going to one of the countries from the list this time we have countries like Sweden Norway UAE, Israel, Brazil, Chile, Peru, Vietnam each country will have a topic that will be explored through the programming for a period of about seven to nine days. And there will be a faculty advisor who will be accompanying the 25 students on the trip. I can speak about the one that I'm looking forward to. It's in Denmark. It's basically exploring the Danish model. Why is it that Denmark ranks so highly in the happiness index? How is it that the government is able to provide social services free of cost, how does that match up with the taxation system? So it's really a look at the social, political, economic model of a country, specifically in the case of Denmark. But that's kind of the lens that is applied to almost each of the GIXs that are there. Israel one is about entrepreneurship and innovation. Sweden is about the gender model. UAE is about energy and cleaner energy resources. So every country has a particular topic and you spend, I believe, about two weeks 
before you head to the particular country in the classroom with the faculty advisor doing pre-reads preparing yourself for the trip and then when you're in the location you are meeting businesses people from the government locals and really having a deep dive into the social and economic model of the country okay and what led you to pick the danish trip you know partly scheduling but mostly from the options that i had i was really curious to know why countries like norway sweden a lot of scandinavian countries rank really high in the happiness index and that's something that i'm curious about and you read a lot about that what is a better way to understand that in depth than visit the country with this particular lens you can visit it as a tourist but when you visit you know the country through some of this programming you get access to communities that you otherwise wouldn't be able to for example currently the us ambassador to denmark is an alum from tuck so that gives us additional access to you know insights about even diplomatic relations with the countries that would of course be impossible to have when you visited just as a tourist so few of those things you know are really interesting about this gix in specific and there's an option to do it in the winter this time in december and i've heard that denmark has great traditions around christmas so that's also something i'm really excited to experience and ishani would also like to talk about recruiting and careers a little bit for international students consulting in tech are the two big opportunities right could you briefly speak about the opportunities for each of these career paths that students at tuck can avail you know in consulting one of the strongest resources is the program that's run by the consulting club they run a mentorship program second years who have successfully you know completed their internships in consulting would sign up to be mentors and they would be assigned a cohort of about 4 to 5 first year students who are interested in consulting and there is four week programming that is designed to onboard them into the process and each of those weeks you know covers things like how do you network for consulting and then you know going into the process of casing week on week you will actually complete a guided process of a case with your mentor as a group and then from the fifth week onwards you will start actively the process of casing and consulting club kind of runs a process for that where all of the mentors who signed up to run these groups along with anyone else who has worked in consulting in their summer will volunteer their time and particular slots also mention which cases are they open to taking with other first years and then the first years will sign up for the slot and there is a given time every week that there will be sign ups that will be open so it's very transparent it's very democratic and people always have resources you know through the consulting club this is kind of the starting point for the first years i think other than this the career service team itself also runs weekly case prep you know sessions for students so between these two what i've heard is i didn't do recruiting in consulting but what i've heard is that there is more than enough practice for people who are going into you know consulting interviews so that's for consulting and in tech there are very different preparations for the different roles that people are pursuing so the first thing that the career service team does is help differentiate those different branches of prep for tech so whether it is more product related or whether it's going to be finance related or whether it's going to be strategy and operations related i think broadly these are the three areas 
and then there is different prep for that. So some of them are static resources which are made available by both the tech club as well as the tech career service advisor that people can use to self-serve. And these are, you know, books on thousands of questions on strategy and operations, prompts when they are interviewing a tech divided by industry, or there might be, you know, more than thousand questions on product interviews, which people can use to self-serve as well as, you know, schedule time with their peers and then, you know, have a peer ask you some of the questions that you have highlighted. The other really helpful resources is that our career service advisor runs weekly tech case interview sessions. Sorry, it's daily, daily case interview sessions, uh, tech case interview sessions. So every day you can sign up And in a group of maximum three to four, the career advisor will give you a tech case interview prompt. And then, you know, for the next hour in a sequential way, you will solve it with the group. People sign up for it again and again. And they sometimes even sign up for the same prompt to just attack it in different ways because the cohort might be different and you might learn something different from it. I would say tech is a little bit more of an an entrepreneurial process. And by entrepreneurial, I mean, it's more of what you make of fit, whereas consulting is a little bit more structured and guided just because the interview process is a little bit more predictable and there is a lot more historical evidence in consulting, whereas in tech, it will differ by the sub-industry that you're interviewing for, role that you're interviewing for, company that you're interviewing for. So the idea is to build general intuition through some of these resources. But when you come to prepare for a certain company, you work one-on-one with your career advisor and prepare for that particular interview. Super. Helpful. Thanks, Ishani. We hear a lot about nice students at Talk, right? Like really, really nice community members. Would you be able to share an anecdote of how you've experienced that? The DMV, I'm forgetting the full form of it. Department of Motor Vehicles. Motor Vehicles. Basically, the closest office for any official work from Hanover is two hours away. So, for example, when I had to go and get my social security card or say I need to get my state ID or I need to get my driver's license. I need to go two hours away and there is no public transport. Tuck does support you. So if you have like a quorum of about four people, which is not difficult to get, Tuck will send you, like will organize the van for you. However, there are just times when that might not be possible. So there is a second year who, you know, A person just needed to go to the office to get their state ID because they were leaving the country and they don't want to be carrying their passport around. It's a real risk for all the international students. Your passport is your only form of ID till you get your state ID or license. So it was really critical for this person before they left Hanover for the summer to get their state ID. And they just put like a message on the group with no expectation of someone to take out five hours out of their day to drive them to the office to get their state ID. But I think in less than two minutes you know they put this message in less than two minutes someone replied and this was the second year who said that yeah i'll take you i went along with them just because so i could give them more company on the you know car ride because when the person actually went in to get their state id that's a one hour long process that peer of ours in the second year they would just be waiting in the car i was truly blown away by the fact that someone would take out five hours in their day to do something like this and this is not even uncommon this happens all the time people will just spend several hours to go and pick up someone's car because it's like stuck somewhere two hours away. It's just like a general part of life. You are wired 
to be there for each other because you know uh, you know sometimes it's just out of the niceness of your heart but you know that this is the community that's going to be there for you when you also might need them just tomorrow and that's just the kind of place that we live in we are all we have so people really really show up for each other very cool amazing amazing what's the food situation like you know do you guys go out to eat are there some really popular places to eat out if you could share a little bit food is a touchy topic at tuck uh, if my peers hear me they would be not very happy i'm totally happy with the food at tuck so there are a few options for tuck students we have our dining hall is called burn it's open for breakfast lunch and dinner however it does shut down at 7:30 what it means is there are no late night snacks in Hanover there is one and only one late night snack option in Hanover which is Domino's that's the one which is open till 4 am but otherwise on campus eating options is the tuck dining hall and then the undergrad dining hall there are two which are open for longer but again like there's no late night eating option so there are two undergrad dining halls one graduate dining hall and that takes care of the campus provided eating opportunities outside of that like in the town of hanover there are about i would say 10 to 12 restaurants a lot of them are only open till lunch or 6 pm because they are cafe formats there would be about five of them i would say which are open like till dinner like till 11 pm and maybe one or two which which are more like a bar format and hence are open till a little bit later. Domino's is open till 4 a.m. I'm waiting to go back to Hanover. I'm right now in India to figure out if there are any more companies that have picked up on the opportunity of late night snacks and kind of exploiting that business. But till then, that's all we have. Can people cook in the dorms? Yes, there are three dorms. One of them has a very, very good cooking facility. It's called so Achtmeier and TV. It's called, it's like two sides of the same dorm they have good cooking facilities there's another dorm called whitmore there is cooking facilities but it's less utilized i think it's more because it's an industrial style kitchen the last dorm which is called buchanan they're kind of executive dorms are much larger however they don't have any kitchen facilities and these are common kitchens is it like yes. one for the whole dorm so in pv and octmire the one kitchen is for the whole floor so there are three floors and so do you have to schedule your cooking no. arrangement Okay. You don't have to schedule. Just the way that it works is that it's not very busy. There is no scheduling system. It's purely based on mutual understanding. Okay. Super. That's really helpful. Thanks, Ashani. And are there any bars because you were talking about like 2 a.m. runs for the safe ride, right? So are there bars as well? There are about 3 to 4 bars which are there. Two of them run till really late. I think one of them is more of a dinner restaurant so Murphy's is where you will find all tuckies almost every night of the week definitely on Thursday Friday Saturdays it's an amazing bar it's kind of like an irish bar style behind the bar are placards for every tuck class so like you'll see like a tuck 2013 tuck 2011 tuck 2021 so you know like all the placards are there so it's kind of a tuck bar while it is of course open to the entire dartmouth community um there is like one more sports bar called dunks some people love it some people hate it but it's there uh, and there are a few more that keep coming up a few times i have to say that tuck is in hanover however there are two close by towns like less than 10 minute drive or like 15 minute drive called white river junction and lebanon and those also have a lot of options so while whatever is in hanover is in walking distance you know the other things are like a car ride away but the reason i said like safe rides runs till 2 am is because most of the social activities at tuck happen either 
are on campus like you know on campus we have two common areas which are converted every thursday to saturday night for a social event so it's really convenient for people who live in the dorms like the social activity or like the party will be on the ground floor and they live on the second third floor or they will be in the tuck houses which are all off campus so like the safe rides are actually running between those tuck houses and where people live which could either be another tuck house or the campus so it's kind of distributed between tuck houses and the campus understood any final thoughts on how incoming students can be better prepared to hit the ground running and succeed at tuck the thing that i would recommend when people come into tuck is prioritizing i think this is common to all business schools but i can say that it applies to tuck as well like prioritizing the things that you're going to be involved in because you don't have to try out a ton of things to see which one you get an opportunity with because as i said if you want to do something at tuck you can 100% do it you might think that i might not want to run for student government because i've never had a leadership position at that level if you are running for the first time you can have that position at tuck because there are so many opportunities going around for people so if something looks interesting think of it as something that is very very achievable just make up your mind if you want to try for that because if you try for that chances are that you will get that opportunity and the other thing is tuck has the greatest alumni connections you will never find a tuck alum that you reach out to who would not respond to you so if you see someone who's working in a company that you're interested in just the fact that you go to tuck will be enough to get an immediate response from them and use that really really frequently i would especially recommend that as something that international students prepare for because that's something that's going to be your greatest asset i know that i've heard i felt it myself that coming from india i feel like people are not used to like cold approaches and reaching out to people if that is you you know like find whatever the quickest way is to overcome that because you will be missing out on one of the greatest strengths of tuck which is the tuck alumni awesome with that thank you so much ishani for sharing such lovely insights really really appreciate you taking the time to come on the show and speaking with all of us thank you thank you so much nipur thank you for joining us on today's episode of the crack the mba show i look forward to seeing you again next week with our next guest do not forget to subscribe to us on apple podcast amazon music spotify and youtube thank you and bye bye